in the last episode of Timeline, The Disappearance of Cassie Compton. I do want to ask you about Brandon Rhodes. Has it ever crossed your mind that maybe he might have had something to do with this? If he did, it would be shocking to me. What is the, the biggest struggle for you coming up on the five-year anniversary of her going missing? Not knowing. There is still no sign of Stuttgart teenager Cassie Compton. It's like part of me is missing because she is my blood. No one has been ruled out as a suspect. I mean, literally half a block away, poof, vanish, nothing. We love you and we just want you home safe. After five years, the tips have, have really dwindled. She just did so many things that were suspicious. I feel like somebody knows and they just won't tell. We've come to a point in this podcast where I need to get Brandon Rhodes' side of the story. Brandon was engaged to Cassie Compton's mother, Judy, at the time Cassie disappeared. Stuttgart Police Chief Mark Duke called him a suspect back in episode three. I mean, he, he, he's, there's just, there's, that guy is just, I don't know. I really don't. I don't know how to put that in words. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he, he's just, he's out there. And I, I, I think he's, uh, you know, like I said before, I think he's, a, he's definitely a prime suspect. Nobody's been ruled out, but he, he definitely is. We've heard Tina Storrs from Halo's investigation say she thinks Brandon may have had something to do with Cassie's disappearance. She yeah. said he told her he was leaving and he was going to get cigarettes. But at the same time that he goes to get cigarettes, Cassie Compton texts his hunter and says, I'm going to get a smoke. Mm -hmm. Red flag. Which She's never seen again. Brandon is being held at the Independence County Jail on charges unrelated to Cassie Compton's case. And at this point, I had spent five months looking into Cassie's disappearance. And in that time, Independence County and Arkansas State Police had ignored all of my requests to set up an interview with Brandon Rhodes, even after he sent me a letter saying he wanted to bring closure to Judy and put the Cassie case to a close. Tina and I decided it was time for us to visit Brandon. Visitation at the jail is on Saturday mornings and afternoons. We chose a Saturday in late August to meet up in Independence County. The drive from Little Rock to Batesville, where the jail is, is about an hour and a half. The drive was cloudy and misty, but as soon as we pulled into the parking lot of the jail, it started to drizzle. The jail is made of brick. Gray cinder blocks stretch from the ground to about six feet up the building. Then it turns to red brick. Metal lettering right above the door and awning reads Independence County Jail. It's surrounded by a fence with razor wire on the top, and there are little slits of windows about six inches high and three feet wide all over the north-facing wall. Tina Storrs pulled into the parking lot right after me and right on the dot at 11.30 a.m. Tina had called the day before, and they said visitation began at noon. But when we got to the jail, a sign was posted outside saying visitation didn't begin until 12.30. 
We decided to use our extra time to come up with a game plan on how the conversation with Brandon should go. So, Tina, the day has finally come for us to go in and see Brandon. Right. So how are you feeling before this whole thing happens? I'm a little nervous but excited. I'm hoping that um, he's going to give us some information that we've needed for such a long time. Yeah. What are you hoping comes of this? I'm hoping that when we go in to talk to him that he'll come in and speak with us um, and like he made a, you know, the message to us was about his conscience. I'm hoping he's going to want to come clean um, and if not, we'll be able to put a couple of things together that maybe can help us find Cassie. Yeah. So. The whole reason we ended up coming here was because he sent me that letter yes. saying that he wanted to clear his conscience, basically, and right. give duty closure. So that being said, do you think that he'll be forthcoming because he already has reached out with this letter, or do you think it could be the opposite because some time has passed since then? Like, what are you thinking? I think that it could be both ways. I think um, today could be a build trust day or it could be a day that he might break down and come clean with us on what happened. Um, I'm hoping either way we'll get some kind of closure. If he even does know something. I mean, we right. truly don't honestly know. Right. And then again, we could possibly come here today and it could be where he fills us out and we have to come back again. My idea with going in here is not to like interrogate him right. obviously. I right. don't want to be like, hey you sent me this letter, like what do you mean by that? Just let him speak and then while he's doing that with you, I'm just gonna kind of sit back and take his story in if he's willing to tell us mm -hmm. and let me put some pieces since being on the case, knowing so much information, areas, different things, people and different things, maybe something will trigger in my mind that can get us some closure to where we need to look further. But another interesting element of all of this, Tina had also written a letter to Brandon and he responded, but that response was different than what he said to me. But Brandon doesn't know that Tina and I know each other. I reached out to him through a letter, he responded, but then you right. also reached out through a letter yes. that he responded to, but he doesn't know that we have been working together on this Right, case. he does not know. And in your letter, he was a lot more, you know, forthcoming. Um, with my letter, he was a little bit more defensive. He wanted me to prove myself to him um, who I was, that I was an undercover, um, somebody that was um, a police officer, a detective, a PI or whatever. Um, so I'm hoping that me by coming forward today and showing him who I am, this is gonna help to let him know I'm Tina Storrs, the one that was talking to him. Tina runs a hair salon as her full-time job, and she had to rearrange clients to be able to make it out to the Independence County Jail on this day. And so you came, how many, How long of a drive was it from Olive um, Branch? Close to three hours. So if this turns out to be nothing happening today, like he could technically just say no, he doesn't want to see us. Right. Like how would you feel in that scenario? Um, I would try to, I would probably go back home, write him a letter, and try to get my get his confidence up to where he believes I'm okay to speak with with you I think he already feels that way and maybe he'll say you can come back it doesn't matter I don't care how many times I got to come back if I have to come back you know every other week or whatever to where I can get him to talk to me I'm good yeah so what say um, best case scenario he does say something what's our next move we have to like report it immediately yes right? we have to report it and um, that's the main thing um, there's been a lot of leads turned in, um, 
I don't know if they've been checked into or not. I'm going to be honest with you. When I turn a lead in, I have to leave it up to law enforcement to follow through with it. After I talked to Tina, I pulled out my camera and tripod to get shots of the outside of the jail for the version of the story that will run on air for Channel 7 since we still had about 30 minutes until visitation started. As soon as I pulled out the camera, inmates began pounding on the small windows of their cells. The windows are so small, all we could see were forearms and hands of the inmates banging on the windows, and the woman, it sounds like, was yelling, let us go. Since this isn't a formal interview, we're not allowed to bring anything into the jail. So no cell phones, cameras, or recording devices. So what happens next was not recorded. Tina and I walked up to the jail to try and meet Brandon Rhodes face to face. When you walk up to enter the jail, there's a button you push to speak to someone inside and they ask you who you're there to see. This is when we had an interaction that put this whole thing on hold. So we just had kind of an interesting situation. We've been standing outside uh, the Independence County Jail for about an hour. Yes. We finally go up, we ring the bell to tell them who we're here to see and then you explain what happened from there. When we rang the bell to say we were here to see Brandon Rhodes um, and I spelled his last name out, um, they told us that he was not here um, any longer. So we asked where, they wouldn't give us the location they of where he was. They said it privacy was privacy um, purposes that they could not give us the information. I asked the woman on the other end if he had been transferred or if he bailed out of jail. She said for privacy reasons, she couldn't give us that information. But the night before, when we called and said we were coming, officials with the jail said he was here and all we needed was a driver's license to visit Brandon. And he is still listed as an inmate on the Independence County Sheriff's Office website. And this all would have happened in the last 24 hours yes. because yesterday we both, I checked online, it said he was part of their jail roster. You called and yes. they said that he was here at this facility. Yes, he was here and it's still showing he's here at this facility. So we don't know what this means. All we know is that we cannot talk to him today. Right. How are you feeling about that? And I'm sure they won't give me any information because of the Privacy Act, um, but I'd like to know what's going on with him. Mm -hmm. Like what would have what happened? What happened? Okay, well, that's all we got okay. for now. <laughs> that's all we got. The next day when we called, they said Brandon Rhodes was in custody at the Independence County Jail, and he is once again still listed as an inmate on their jail roster. We then left the jail, but I decided to write Brandon a letter detailing what happened when we went up to see him and asking what's going on. I am currently waiting on a response. While we didn't get an answer from Brandon, there's another theory about what could have happened to Cassie Compton that I haven't mentioned yet. It's the reason Halo's investigations got involved in Cassie's case in the first place. This is because of the theory that she may have been pulled into human trafficking. This is something Tina brought up to me when I first talked to her on the phone before my actual interview with her. When it comes to trafficking, this is something we've talked about on the phone plenty of times, but you guys think that could be a possibility of what happened to her? I thought it could be a possibility of what happened to her. Still at this time, I'm not going to, I really could say that, yeah, there could be a possibility. And now it's been, when this airs, it'll have been five years. Yes. 
what are your hopes in regards to her still being alive out there? Very slim. Even if you're in the trafficking industry, they say seven years basically is about it. Um, if she is severe allergic, you know, has allergic reactions and stuff, um, anything could happen, especially if she's being drugged out, um, has any allergies, anything. So it's very slim that she could still be here with us. Her allergies have been brought up in previous episodes. Cassie's mom, Judy Compton Kimsey, says Cassie had an EpiPen because she had several severe allergies. But HALO's official name is HALO's Investigations Incorporated for Missing and Trafficked Children. One of their main focuses is finding children that are the victim of human trafficking. Tina spends a majority of her time investigating cases of minors believed to be victims. And trafficking, I've learned from doing this story, is something that is really big in Arkansas. In Arkansas general. is big. Can you explain that? It's everywhere, though. You know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, every state every city, every zip code has trafficking. So, you know, and these pimps, when they're out there, the traffickers are out there, they move them from state to state to state. You know, you might do, you know, leave Arkansas, go Mississippi, Tennessee, Georgia, or you might leave Arkansas, go Oklahoma to Texas, and go on back around. So they don't usually leave them in one state because their chances of getting caught are so easy. So that's the whole point. You know, you can, we can be searching Arkansas and she could be in Texas. So, I mean, that's the, that's the main thing about it there. You just never know where she could be. They could be taking her underground. She could be working the streets, not the, not the sex sites. She could be working truck stops. So she could be either in motels. She could be in abandoned motels that are in the back. Uh, properties that you wouldn't even think that are still there, but they just put a mattress in there and they sell these girls out to one man after another. And this is stuff that you've seen? Oh yeah, I've seen it. I sat outside motels and stuff at night and watched the girls bring the guys their money down when I'm looking for a girl. So, I mean, until you've been there and seen it, it's, just, it's unbelievable. It's not something that I think is talked about for the prevalence that I've learned it's happening, especially in Arkansas. It's not something that we talk about enough. A lot of people don't want to talk about it because, you know, they, they don't want to um, think it's real. You know, you hear about it and it's like, oh, these people are just overboard, you know, and they don't realize until your child goes missing. And then when your child goes missing, you're that one parent that thought that it would never happen to you. And is there... A specific group of people they target? You know, a lot of um, the traffickers, they're really good. You know, social media is so big. You have a down day, you put, I'm down, I'm depressed, I'm mad at my mom, uh, you know, I don't like life, I hate life, I don't have anything. And then they see it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect girl. Oh, you're beautiful. Oh, thank you. And it starts with a small conversation. Let me send you something. They get gifts. They get cell phones, so the parents can't track their cell phone usage because they've done sent them a cell phone. Um, you got parents that say their kids have no social media. Wow, blow your mind. Because if they got a friend, they got social media. Um, and you think Cassie would have been maybe an ideal target for some of these Cassie people? would have been a perfect target. Why is that? Because of her life at home. 
so she would have been a perfect. Um, she didn't want to be there for whatever reason. So the first opportunity to, for her to where I can get you, I can get you an apartment, I can get you a car, I can get you a house, I can buy you a new wardrobe. Tina said what tipped her off to the possibility of Cassie being the victim of human trafficking, messages that were found after she went missing. Cassie's mom, Judy, mentioned this in my interview with her. There were Facebook messages that really threw me for a loop. They weren't good ones. And I'll just leave it at that because I like to fell out of my chair when I seen what was the messages were. Can you give us like, anything like what they were about? They were sexual. They were sexual comments from boys to her and that she had never met. And it I just, it made me wonder, you know, could they be involved? I can't even imagine what was running through your mind when you found those. Cause I like to fell out of my chair. That's how hard it hit me. I just could not believe it. It's just shocking. Tina says these messages tipped her off to the idea of human trafficking in this case, but there was another incident that also sparked her curiosity. I mean, there are messages on her messenger, people that are telling her, come here and I won't ever take you back home. And you you saw those? Yes. Wow. From her mom showed you those or? Yeah, I was able to go on and look at them. So how do you even like from that point, how do you start the canvassing and figuring out who people you think are? Well, everything best? that I have found out has been turned over to Stuttgart Police Department. So when that's turned over, that's in, the ball's in their hand, court right there. So I have to let them um, do everything when it comes to that. Yeah. But I've got like, you know, multiple. Um, we had a, I searched sites for missing girls to see if they're in trafficking because there was a post that Cassie had made to one of her male friends that said, um, don't worry about me, I'm working this side of town. So what did that mean? So the mom, it concerned because she saw it and it concerned her. What did she mean by, don't worry about me, I'm working this side of town. Yeah. So then I started searching. I searched a lot of sites. I mean, I'm on, it's, it doesn't matter if it's for Cassie. I did it for Abby. I did it for all, I do it for all of them. And if I see somebody that looks like them, I turn it into law enforcement or I'll call the state, the trafficking's going on. So I came across a girl that looked like Cassie Compton. I mean, really close to Cassie Compton. And they did a sting operation. They went in and did a sting operation. It was up in Texas. And they did a sting operation and the girl's name was Brittany. When they went in, that was the ID, which we all know, they, she's not gonna have an ID says Cassie on it. It's gonna have a different name. And um, they didn't take her in and fingerprint her or do nothing. They just looked at her ID and they let her go. 
So a question I have with this, Cassie had a very distinct scar on her cheek. Yes. I think it was her left cheek. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to this, if you find someone that, oh, maybe this is Cassie, I mean, that's got to be an indicator, right? Right. Well, this girl did not have a scar on her cheek, but there's so many things you can do now. I mean, there's so much makeup. Mm -hmm. um, if she's in the trafficking industry, if she is doing it, she can get resurfaced. Her skin, her skin can get resurfaced. Mm -hmm. She can get injections put in it. So if the money's there and the pimp is making money off of a girl, they'll do multiple things to hide them. Tattoo removal, yeah. tattoos over different tattoos. So there's tons of things you can do. This is a theory Tina has been looking into for years now, but Stuttgart Police Chief Mark Duke has thrown around the same idea. I have <laughs> talked to people on that run these TV shows, the, the, the cold case stuff, the uh, several people that, that help with finding children, the Halos group, um, another one out of Louisiana, another one out of Texas. We have, we've actually found missing kids. Mm -hmm through the investigations where we thought maybe it was her combing these horrible websites, Backpage and all that stuff, you know, that is nothing but a, a, a cesspool. And those people that put themselves on there, they're putting themselves out there just to be picked. And they've done, you know, raids and they've recovered children that were supposedly missing, abducted, or run away that were caught up in sex trafficking cases and, you know, but the more I researched it, this stuff goes not just here, they ship them off to other countries and, you know, it, there, there really is no telling. And if somebody would just talk, people have called and said, well, I think I saw her in a park in Colorado or I believe she's working in a, in a restaurant in Pennsylvania or I think she was the housekeeper in a motel in Tennessee. It's all been run down and it's not her. Oh I've researched, you know, come across, they found skeletal remains in the mountains of a refuge in California. To, to, I have literally interacted with people all over this country trying to find this child. Looking for her. You know, praying and hoping, just like her mom, that when she turned 18, she'd say, here I am. Do you think that human trafficking is like a viable option for this case? Do you think that that's something that I might would, actually... I would never rule it out. I, you see that all the time on stuff. I think a couple, three months ago, they busted one up in New York. And some of those girls that were in that had been in there for seven years. And they thought they were dead. Their parents, you know, had, had just... You know, they didn't give up, but they thought, we'll never find them alive, we'll never find them. And they had been hung up in this this trafficking deal. Because a lot of times the way that stuff works is, is, you know, they'll move them every three to four days. So it's hard to get a bead on them. And if it gets heavy, they just cycle them out of the country. That's so terrifying to think about. It's... It's almost become as popular as, as as running drugs or anything else. Is that something that you think like everyone has to be aware of and and think about? 
it's something that, that anybody could become a victim of. Not just uh, a young woman, but, you know, men, boys, you know, grown women. It, it, it doesn't matter. They traveled the, the southern coastline, you know, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. They may run up and hit the Carolinas and then turn around and do it all again. If it gets too hot, shoot across to, to Cuba or across the Gulf to, to Mexico. You know, and if you go even southern, go even further south than Mexico, you know, you gotta look at all those other countries down there. But also, I mean, if she was a victim of sex trafficking, she might still be alive somewhere. Mm-hmm. Which nothing would, would, I know, would thrill her mother more, but for her to just call and say, I'm alive, I'm here, can somebody come get me? You know, we'll, we'll find a way to go get her. Mm -hmm. I don't care where she's at. We will find a way. We'll get a helicopter, we'll get a plane, we'll get a boat, we'll do whatever. Because there's there's several of us, including, you know, the case agents from the state and the FBI that I'm pretty sure will get on board and, and we're going to hand deliver. Can you imagine? That would be amazing. That would be a, a definite highlight. While Chief Duke says finding Cassie Compton, even if she's the victim of trafficking, would be a good thing because at least she could still be alive. Cassie's mom, Judy, feels different about the situation. You can hear in the background of this next clip, Judy's husband, Mike Kimsey, say this possibility is Judy's biggest fear. What in your heart, what, what your intuition as a mother, where, what do you think happened? Do you have any idea? Do you have a feeling if she's still out there somewhere? I just, I worry about her, I worry about her being put in sex trafficking. That has been, I have felt that deep in my heart ever since she went missing and I found out about the sex trafficking thing and all these kids started after Cassie went missing, other kids the same age and same eye color and hair color and about the same weight went missing, started going missing. It seemed like month after month. And then like the next year, close to around the time Cassie went missing, more another child would come up missing. And it just, it makes me wonder if it could be sex trafficking, sex traffickers that took her. Another interesting idea I've learned while looking into Cassie's case is that another woman also went missing from Stuttgart. 40-year-old Michelle Owens went missing on April 19, 2015, eight months after Cassie went missing. Chief Duke told me he doesn't think they're connected. It's not very often that people just go missing from Stuttgart. No, I mean, in all my years, we have Cassie Compton, another woman by the name of Michelle Owens. We've 
we have absolutely no idea where they are. It's just they vanished. They're very different. It's Michelle went to church and, and went home and we don't know anything from there. Cassie went home, left the house, and just vanished. And we have put in, I don't know how many thousands of man hours. Everything, you know, we, we've interviewed everybody that we could come across. This has spread across the country. We have worked with state and federal agencies in about every state in the continental United States. You know, is it an abduction? Is it human trafficking? You know, did somebody take her? You know, well, I feel like somebody knows and they just won't tell. Michelle Owens was last seen by her family at her home in Stuttgart on April 19, 2015. But back at the time of her disappearance, Stuttgart police told Channel 7 there was also a sighting of her two days later at the Quickie Car Wash on 13th Street in Stuttgart. The Quickie Car Wash is less than four blocks away from the house Cassie Compton went missing from. I asked Cassie's mom, Judy, about Michelle Owens. It was like a week before Michelle Owens went missing that I asked if she had seen Cassie, happened to see Cassie anywhere because she walks all over Stutt, Michelle Owens walks all over Stuttgart. And it was like a week later she went, Michelle Owens went missing. And that was just, I found that strange. Do you think that there might have been a connection between the two? Cassie and Michelle? It makes me wonder. You know, it makes me wonder if somebody was watching and seen me talking to her and decided to take her too. Once again, Chief Duke says he doesn't believe there's a connection between the two disappearances. One thing while working on Cassie's case that I want to talk about is that I don't think the sole focus of this story should be the details of her disappearance. Cassie's a person. She has likes, dislikes, passions, and personality, and I don't want this to get lost in all of the talk about her going missing. When I talked to Judy about her daughter, I learned something new that I'd never heard before. When did you guys move to Stuttgart? In August of 2009. And so this all happened in 2014. So you had yes. been here about five years. You came from Oklahoma, right? Yes. How did you end up in Stuttgart? Well, I had a friend that pastored a church up here. And just the way things went, I just felt I was supposed to be here. And I came here to help in the church. I was the piano player for several years there. He's helping out in the church. Is that one of your passions? Yes. I've been playing the piano since I was like five years old. Did Cassie yeah. show any interest in music? Yes, she could play the clarinet really well. Yes, and the saxophone. She could play that and the flute. She really? could play those. I hadn't heard yes. any of that about her. Do you have any videos of her playing? No, I don't. 
We are now caught up to where I am in this case. Tina and I will continue to try and talk to Brandon Rhodes for his side of the story, and I will come out with updates when I have them. At the time of her disappearance, Cassie had blonde hair, blue eyes, weighed about 100 pounds, and was 5 feet 3 inches tall. She had a noticeable scar on her left cheek. If you have any information on what happened to Cassie or where she may be, please reach out to the Stuttgart Police Department.